Welcome to the Cybersecurity Defenders podcast, episode number 77. My name is Christopher Luft. I'm one of the co-founders of Lima Charlie, and I will be your host. On today's episode, we're going to be chatting with the one and only Matt Bromley about some cutting-edge intel coming out of the Lima Charlie community Slack channel. Here we are again, another week, another set of bad actors, malicious code, and compromised systems. We're back once again to talk about some of the cutting-edge intel being shared by our awesome community in the Lima Charlie Slack channel. And as always, a huge thank you to all those folks that take the time to share the knowledge with the rest of us. I'm joined once again by the one and only Matt Bromley, who is here to help us make sense of what we are seeing coming through the wire. How are you doing today, Matt? Hey, Chris. Doing really well. Uh, super excited to be back here. I think we had a couple week break just due to some uh, company events and stuff like that, but it's great to be back here. And yeah, the Intel chat's been brimming with some awesome content, so I'm looking forward to getting into it. Yeah, it's cool to see all that data being shared by the community in there. I, I love watching it grow and, and seeing all the benefit reap out to everybody. Absolutely. And I'll uh, I'll offer that quick plug too for anyone who's listening, but not in our Lima Charlie Slack. Come join us. We've got some cool stuff going on there. Conversations like this take place and you can catch them live as well. Yeah, that's uh, slack.limacharlie.io for anybody listening. All right, let's get to it. Ars Technica is reporting that identity and authentication management provider Okta has been hit by another breach, this one against a third-party vendor that allowed hackers to steal personal information for approximately 5,000 Okta employees. The compromise was carried out in late September against Rightway Healthcare, a service Okta uses to support employees and their dependents in finding healthcare providers and plan rates. An unidentified threat actor gained access to Rightway's network and made off with an eligibility census file the vendor maintained on behalf of Okta. Okta learned of the compromise and data theft on October 12th and didn't disclose it until three weeks later. In an email, an Okta representative said that based on information Rightway provided, the intruder first gained access to a Rightway employee's cell phone and then used that access to change credentials and take the files. The files, which were from April 2019 through 2020, were exfiltrated from Rightway's IT environment. Okta also said that Rightway informed it that the compromise involved multiple Rightway customers. I know you hate to speculate, but given that Okta is such a popular target for bad actors, do you think this third party was intentionally targeted as a way to gather information that could enable sophisticated phishing and spoofing? You know, Chris, I think uh, you might have called that nail right on the head there, which which is a valuable point to be. This, uh, you know, feels very much like kind of like a vendor attack in order to get to the ultimate target. You know, which in this case, uh, I, I think was was probably the, the goal of the adversary here. Uh, again, without knowing the exact goal that they were going after, um, I, I do think that this is one of those cases where Okta, you know, especially given recent circumstances, most likely has a tuned security up to 11, if you will. And they're probably kind of, you know, locked down a little bit and whatnot. Um, however, they did come out and specify that this incident does not relate to the use of Okta services and services remain secure. No customer data was impacted. I think in this case, what they saw was an Okta vendor, if you will, or, or you know, a third party that provided healthcare functionality and had some of that sensitive information and, and whatnot, as you called out. Where this becomes unique from an adversary perspective is, one, it gives them some personal information, as you said, Chris, that could be used to craft spear phishing or other types of lures and things that we've talked about before. It also, you know, this may have been the file that was taken with the adversaries potentially looking for something additional in there as well. Uh, sometimes when, and this is obviously not all the case, there are definitely threat actors who target PHI and PII and things like that. However, sometimes adversaries inadvertently access or inadvertently grab this information. 
So in some cases, this might be a, you know, a, a situation where the adversary was like, ooh, Okta, let me see what this is. Ooh, spreadsheet, all sorts of information. Oh, it's personal details, right? And that's, that's not to say it's not important data, but it might not have been what they were looking for. But I think you said it right kind of at the end of that synopsis there was this does open the door for really crafty spear phishing or some really sensitive information to be leaked out there. And then, you know, Chris, we've talked multiple times on this podcast about the kind of economy and the business around all this. Imagine you're an adversary who has a spreadsheet of 5,000 employees that you're willing to sell to the highest bidder and things like that. And I think that is the uh, maybe one of the other important takeaways here is that there's some data out there. However, comma, of course, I'm going to always say the idea of, of data leaks and data breaches and stuff is not new to anyone whatsoever. So there's going to be all sorts of monitoring offered and things like that. But uh, I think in this case, you know, I, I would definitely want to make sure that this information is not being used maliciously against the folks who were captured in that spreadsheet. Do you think, you know, given how much Okta has been in the news lately, that they just kind of become more and more of a target for threat actors based on the number of compromises that are made public? I kind of feel like there's a, a runaway momentum with them. And I don't know if that's based on the nature of the software they, they provide, or if it's they've kind of painted a target on their back. Yeah, so this is, uh, there's probably some sort of scientific term for this. And if anyone knows what the term for this is, by all means, please, please hit me up in some sort of social media and let me know. Um, but it's kind of one of those like spotlight effects where a company goes through a particular thing and then every other thing that they go through is then thrown into the same spotlight. So maybe it's, you know, compromised by association or amplification by association or something like that. I'm not sure what the actual term is. Um, but I, I think that once a, you know, a, once a, a, an environment or a company or a target or a victim or whatever, you know, noun we want to use here is kind of on the ground or, you know, they're, they're obviously, you know, going through a triage period or they're dealing with a security incident. Other adversaries will look at that as a chance to try and jump on board and to be like, well, their defenses are potentially down or weakened, which in a lot of cases from an incident response perspective, it is not necessarily true. Um, but what they're looking for is I'm hoping that everybody is looking over there so nobody sees me over here doing a thing, right? And that certainly comes out of it. The other thing that happens, and uh, I don't, I'm not throwing any shade towards any sort of journalists or publications or anything like that, because this is not a negative comment, but there are also situations where, you know, if you're in a newsroom and you're facilitating through releases and articles and you've got two in front of you, and one of them is for a, you know, a hospital in the Midwest that not many folks know about. And the other one is somewhat tangentially related to a company that was in the news two weeks ago you know which one you're going to pick, right? And I'm, I'm not saying that happened in this case. I'm just saying sometimes these somewhat arbitrary things end up being associated just because the company or the ultimate victim is in the, in the spotlight already. I'll kind of repeat from the article, right? Okta came out and was like, hey, this didn't impact our services. It didn't impact any of our users. It didn't impact anything that we provide as a company. So in you know, long story short, from a pure data technical perspective, this is not related to the, you know, the overall incident that they've been going through that you guys covered a few weeks ago. Um, it's not related, right? It's, it just happens to be a shared logo between the two. But for an adversary, 
they may not view that as a big delineator like I am right now. They might look at it as they're already on the ground. Let's keep kicking and kicking and kicking and hopefully we'll get some win out of this. Yeah, definitely some piling on going on there. All right, so the next one up, Deep Instinct's threat research team has identified a new campaign from the Muddy Water Group. This most recent campaign has seen this threat actor targeting at least two targets in Israel. Muddy Water is an Iranian government-sponsored threat actor, part of Iran's Ministry of Intelligence and Security. Since Q4 of 2022, the group has been active against Israeli organizations. This threat actor conducts cyber espionage operations using social engineering and phishing campaigns, exploiting one-day vulnerabilities, and using malicious tools such as PowerShower, PowerStallion, and the Muddy Water Proxy. In this campaign, Muddy Water employs updated TTPs that they have not seen in the past. These include a new public hosting service employing an LNK file to initiate the infection and utilizing intermediate malware that mimics the opening of a directory while executing a new remote administration tool. After the victim has been infected, the Muddy Water operator will connect to the infected host using the legitimate remote administration tool and will start doing reconnaissance on the target. Then after the reconnaissance phase, the operator will likely execute PowerShell code, which will cause the infected host to beacon to a custom C2 server. The article has some pretty good technical details and includes a bunch of IOCs, including MD5 hashes and some IPs. Did you get a chance to look at this one, Matt? Was there anything about this that stuck out for you? I, I did get a chance to look through this one. Uh, it, it feels kind of like typical muddy water in this case, that despite being a new campaign. Um, as much as I don't like to say this statement, I, I figured that this is probably going on a lot more than we're reading about in the news. Um, just the overall kind of, speaking of piling on, right? Um, hey, there, there's a war going on. There's There's governments and intelligence agencies who have different thoughts about that war, and they're letting cyber become another area of them. Now, I, I will just heavily, you know, I, I will easily caveat that and just say that uh, Iranians targeting kind of Israeli targets is nothing new. It's not been prompted by the recent activity over in that part of the world. Um, however, I, you know, obviously it's going to get ramped up as as folks look at, again, kind of, you know, a, a, a lot of different moving pieces inside of a government and maybe a chance to slip in and gain a foothold somewhere. Um, the other thing that I found interesting about this one is and some of you out there who have done incident response and security analysis before, you hopefully you'll appreciate this comment. I mean, it's a, it's an LNK file. It's a link file to initiate the infection. You know, I mean, these, these some of these techniques have been around for, for years, if not decades. And hats off to the threat actors. Not a compliment. It's a very sarcastic one. But a sarcastic hats off to the threat actors for once again relying on those old style, you know, let me just use a shortcut to, to drop this thing in there. Um, I will say, you know, Deep Instinct, you, you published a great blog post, lots of technical details, as Chris called out, good IOCs. This is something that can be easily detected, uh, in my opinion. There's some pretty straightforward names, some pretty hard-coded uh, domains in here and things like that. You know, there's a few IP addresses and whatnot, but it's a pretty straightforward one that I think would be worth uh, definitely looking through in your environment if you're in this part of the world and it's something that you're kind of curious or concerned about. I, I would I would probably go looking for this one. But uh, that being said, you know, nothing crazy revolutionary from a technical perspective, just more about the way they put a bunch of different pieces together. I'll, I will caveat that statement as well. Not many threat actors. In fact, they might be the only one who take advantage of Storyblock as uh, a content hosting slash malware delivery platform in this case, uh, which might be unique to this particular campaign or might be unique to, you know, what these threat actors have done before. So I would... 
probably argue and say that there's some threat actor out there who read this blog post and was like, oh, I've never heard a story blog before. And now you're going to see it as a legitimate file sharing service that's been turned, you know, abused by threat actors, kind of like, you know, mega upload was back in the day and whatnot. But nonetheless, pretty straightforward attack, uh, really, really easy to detect simple techniques here. And I highly recommend, again, as I said, if you're in this part of the world, deploy some detections, deploy some countermeasures out there and, and you won't have too much problem with this one. Yeah, and I think you called it out that this kind of operation from this APT is is sort of regular business and probably not directly related to the events that are going on in Israel right now, but it's hard to tell, I guess. Yeah, that's the tough part, right? I'm sure there's plenty of folks out there who have geopolitical speculations about what's happening and whatnot. But uh, that being said, I think from an overall technical viewpoint, this was not a super advanced attack, but Definitely one trying to take advantage of opportunistic chaos. Yeah, and I'll just uh, contrast that to the next one, which uh, on October 30th, the Israeli-based incident response company Security Joe's posted findings about a new wiper malware for Linux systems used by pro-Hamas hacktivists in the Israeli-Hamas war. The company is currently tracking the malware as BB Linux wiper. And the next day, BlackBerry Research and Intelligence team found a variant that targets Windows systems, which they have labeled BB Windows Wiper. For context, the attack had no ransom note or command and control servers, which led responders to surmise that the BB Linux malware is a wiper deployed for the sole reason of causing data destruction. Upon analysis, the team discovered that the Israeli Prime Minister's commonly used nickname, BB, aka Benjamin Netanyahu, was hard-coded in the malware and in the extension of every destroyed file. Security Joe's team theorizes that the wiper may have been created by, quote, a group of hackers affiliated with Hamas with the intent to sow chaos amidst the backdrop of war. How do we classify threat actors like this? Does this fall under pure hacktivism or is it something else? Is this possibly related to the military itself? Yeah, I think this is one that I would say is probably more closely related to the kinetic activity than uh, the previous one, you know, m- m- again, I'm not saying they're not related at all, but this one, I mean, th- this is a pretty big development. Uh, I think this is an important finding right here. You know, BB uh, Linux wiper was discovered to also have Windows wiping capabilities as well. I mean, first off, you know, Chris, as you said, if you're getting into an environment with the pure intention of just wiping and destroying systems for for data destruction purposes and whatnot, you've stated your goal right up front. You've stated exactly what you're going after. And then if you go a step further, and I I won't reference the name of the malware because the name was chosen by security researchers. However, the fact that BB was hard-coded in the malware and the extension of the destroyed files, that's another kind of shot to the gut or, you know, another like really low blow of just kind of reminding your victim, hey, I wanted to ruin your day, right? I'm using terminology that is unique to you i am looking to you know sucker punch i mean it's 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 very very targeted right there is there's no doubt about it it's and and i'll you know i i'll contrast this with maybe another weird analogy but it's not like we're sitting here where someone's like oh they're using the genghis khan wiper and it's like all right well that clearly doesn't target anyone in this current millennia right um but you know this is this is a direct shot a hundred percent so with that being said, you know, I, I think the, the other important distinction here is that we've seen it move to Windows. Um, but, but again, I, I, I got to resort back to, you know, folks, if, if you're in the security detection, security engineering side and whatnot, like the stuff that this malware is doing, 
is not super crazy advanced, right? It's it's a new campaign. It's a targeted campaign. It's very, very targeted in the way that it's leaving files. But if I just walk through like some of the TTPs and stuff like that, it goes in, it, it deletes volume shadow copies. It disables the uh, error recovery screen on startup using BCD edit. I mean, these are commands that should have legacy SIM representation, in my opinion, right? So I think finding the campaign is good. But if I'm in an active war country right now where I know I'm being targeted and cyberspace is something that is part of that, you know, battleground, and I hate to use the term cyber battleground, but I'm just going to say if I know cyberspace is another area where my enemies are looking to hit me and whatnot, I'm tuning everything up and I'm looking for activities like this. You know, I'm going to tell you all right now, right? Let's just let's just pick one little piece of this volume shadow copies. If volume shadow copies are getting deleted, then I am firing an alert on 11 for that thing. And if someone comes to me and is like, hey, what the heck? That was legitimate sysadmin activity. Cool, I'll deal with that one instance. But every other time it falls in a bucket of some sort of wiper or ransomware or something, neither of which I want to run. So my technical takeaway here is, yeah, targeted attack hurts, data destruction, clear goals and objectives. Can we easily detect this thing? 100%. I, I, I would have to go as far as to say that looking for these types of techniques should be table stakes for anyone out there doing security monitoring. So, you know, again, it, it sucks that this type of malware exists and it's being used. But on the flip side, drop those detections in and stop this stuff from being successful. Yeah. And given on the techniques that we're seeing there, then I'm guessing that it points more towards actual hacktivists, people trying to join the fray versus some kind of military or government-backed actors, which would perhaps be a little more sophisticated? Uh, Well, that one is, that's a tough one to even speculate about only because, and, and this, you know, it's a lot to unravel there, but if I keep it at a high level, it's very hard to draw the lineage between where someone may be government supported or you know nexus government nexus supported versus ideologically driven versus government suggested versus straight up hacktivist i don't really care right so i'll go maybe a step on the other side of that line chris because I, I think this is a valid question but i'll go another way and say you know to my earlier point right they didn't name this gang that sorry not name name is the wrong word but when they wrote the malware they didn't hard code in Genghis Khan, right? They didn't hard code in dot Genghis Khan, you know, ransomware or wiper or whatever, right? It's it's Israeli terms, 100%. So it's tough to know just how far the apple fell from that tree to be able to say, oh, this looks more opportunistic than anything else. Um, and, and I do know that, you know, I think in the article, I believe there was a suspected Hamas affiliated, and I'm reading straight from BlackBerry's blog post here, a suspected Hamas affiliated activist group. Well, I mean, how affiliated, right? Like affiliated, like someone's brother of a brother of a brother of a sister uh, went to school together or affiliated like they sat in the same room and one was talking kinetic, one was talking cyber, but you know, there was a little bit of a division there or something. You know what I mean? Um, it's it's tough to really draw that line, understand just how thick that connection is um, to to be able to say whether or not they're intrinsically, you know, related, tangibly related, or if it literally might just be two groups 
who have never met each other, have never ever crossed paths, but happen to feel the same way about the victim and just, you know, sheer happenstance, right? I would take a shot in the dark and say it's probably more of the former than the latter, but the latter is not excluded. Awesome. Well, thanks for your insight there. I know you don't like to speculate, but uh, I can't help it when I see stuff like this. I'm trying to. Yeah, no, no, it's 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 an important discussion. And and the other thing, too, is um, it's it's very important for folks who uh, and and I'm not using just the conflict over there right now as an example, but maybe in general. Right. You saw the exact same thing happen uh, in, in Ukraine when battle is launched or war is declared or any of those types of things. Please understand, folks who are in that country, that we're under attack all the time, right? There's, there's plenty of companies out there who will tell you it's not, it's, you know, it's, it, it, it's not if, but when, right? It, it's going to happen. That That's in moderate peace times, if you will. Maybe there's some geopolitical backdoor stuff or backroom stuff happening, but most of the time, you know, we're 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 from a superpower perspective, it, it's a lot of pomp and circumstance. Um, again, there's probably some sort of secret stuff that I'm not aware of, but I'm just going to say that there aren't, you know, battleships from another country parked outside of Hawaii right now. Okay, so the point I'm trying to make is, even in relative peacetime, we are under attack. When war gets declared or battles get started or some sort of animosity bubbles up and turns into something, think Arab Spring, think Ukraine attack, think uh, when, you know, uh, obviously what's going on right now in in Israeli-Palestinian conflict, uh, any sort of geopolitical situation, what China is trying to do to the South China Seas and things like that, cyber is now a part of that element. It's part of that attack and it's easier from a barrier of entry perspective, it's easier for everyone to get involved. And this is where this line in this particular attack becomes critical. Because, you know, Chris, as I said, this might be two groups, the kinetic folks, and then this opportunistic cyber hacktivist group have never met each other whatsoever. But the hacktivist group wants to contribute. Well, they can't go and buy a plane or a tank or a helicopter or anything like that. But what they can do is they can write a nasty little piece of malware that goes through and disrupts someone's day or deletes data and stuff like that. And without any sort of orders or state-sanctioned direction or state nexus objective or subcontracting or anything like that, they can have an impact, right? They can contribute even if no one at a high enough level ever sees or knows them. They can go to sleep at night saying, I contributed to this thing, to this cause that I believe in or whatever. I'm not saying it's right, but I'm saying cybersecurity and the information security world, maybe let's just say the internet in general, lowers that barrier for entry. So if you're one of those companies that's in that crosshairs, in that target zone, understand that, yeah, more adversaries are going to, quote unquote, pop up out of nowhere when this type of thing happens, just because it's a way for them to get involved outside of the normal hum of the internet which tells us all we're under attack all the time anyways. So just to, you know, something I've, I've observed over the years is it's tough to draw those lines, but if I'm a defender and I start to see a foreign national try to, you know, cross my borders, ramp up your cybersecurity defenses because if they're not already in, that's where they're going next. Yeah, fascinating world sometimes. 
All right. The last one I have is uh, an interesting one from Hacker News. Apparently, Google is warning of multiple threat actors sharing a public proof of concept exploit that leverages its calendar service to host command and control infrastructure. The tool called Google Calendar Rat, or GCR, employs Google Calendar events for C2 using a Gmail account. This tool was first published to GitHub in June of 2023. Basically, the tool creates calendar events and then uses the description field to write and edit commands. The fact that the tool operates exclusively on legitimate infrastructure makes it difficult for defenders to detect suspicious activity. What do you think, Matt? Is this a new way to hide in plain sight or just another version of something else we've seen before? Congrats, <laughs> both. It's both, Chris. It's 100% both. So first off, um, you know, when I, I I hated reading this, I hated finding out about this because I use Google Calendar so much. Now, let's be clear. All right, let's let's draw this out technically here. This is not a compromise of Google Calendar. This is using Google Calendar for exactly what it's meant to be used for. And that's one thing that I want folks to understand here is, you know, and, and I, I had I saw I saw some random tweets and stuff where people were like, oh, I'm never using Google Calendar again, blah, blah. And it's like, OK, you, you don't know what you're talking about with all due respect. Right. Um. If I go and create my own calendar and I make it public for anyone out there to see and anyone to download and consume, which I've done before, right? I've created calendars before and said, hey, you know, here's a calendar for this thing. Anyone out there can subscribe. I am using the product for exactly what it was designed for. Now, if I initiate API calls that call specific events and read the descriptions of those events, and then I change the descriptions of those events, I've essentially made Google Calendar a C2. I haven't abused the overall nature of a calendar. I'm abusing a particular part of Google Calendar, but it doesn't eradicate or it doesn't render the platform itself unsafe. That approach that I just described, I'd call that the the kind of new way of doing an old thing, right? We've seen this done before where someone will find a novel way to embed C2 instructions inside of some sort of publicly facing data source or whatever it might be. Um, you know, we've seen this done in tweets before where someone will go register a random Twitter account, host a bunch of encrypted basic, not encrypted, but oh, I'm going to say encoded base 64 that is not human readable even after being decoded. That makes no sense to any of us out there, but to the malware that's downloading it, it makes 100% sense. So Twitter is a C2, has been seen before, right? We've seen other websites. We've seen comment sections of certain sites be used as C2s before. So the idea of a public facing thing being used for C2 is not new. The other side of it that you asked was another way to hide in plain sight. Well, how many companies out there are going to block access to Google Calendar, right? Not that many. So I think it's a combination of both. Uh, you know, again, hats off, a, a very sarcastic, and I wish you hadn't hats off to the adversaries who found a way to go through and abuse this. Um, and to go through and, and kind of take advantage of it and whatnot. But I think it's just kind of run of the mill of someone figured out a way to abuse a cloud service and to uh, blend into the background. So it's it's one of those things where it's annoying. But for any of you out there who re- maybe heard or read about this, and were like, oh, Google Calendar has been hacked. No, it hasn't. Not at all. It's not what's being said here. It's just utilizing a public service for exactly what it was intended to do. Now, I don't know the recourse in here. If you don't use Google Calendar, in your environment, can you effectively block it? Most likely not. Just because of the way that different Google services are structured or whatnot, you can't just kind of block Google Calendar. You might not even be able to identify what that domain is. Um, I think maybe another way, and 
we're not going to get too much into product specifications here. But if I was looking at like, you know, um, full packet and deep packet inspection and stuff like that, that might be an area where I'd want to analyze calendar events a little bit closer and whatnot. But nonetheless, it's, it's still an interesting technique. And the POC that's out there, I think is, uh, also kind of a novel thing to read through, but nonetheless, keep using your Google calendar. Everyone just, uh, be careful of what your C2s are reaching out to. Awesome. All right, Matt. Well, that's, uh, that's it for today. Appreciate you coming back to talk with us and look forward to doing it again next week. Can't wait, Chris, as always. And a huge thanks once again to our Intel channel. Y'all keep us going, keep posting some awesome stuff in there. And as uh, Chris mentioned earlier, if you're not in the Slack channel, slack.leamacharlie.io, we'd love to get you in there. Awesome. Take care, sir. Take care. And that concludes this episode of the Cybersecurity Defenders podcast. If you have any feedback or ideas for future topics, please send an email to defenders at limacharlie.io. You can access the intel we talk about on the show in real time and join the conversation on the Lima Charlie community Slack channel at slack.limacharlie.io. If you've enjoyed the show, please consider sharing it with someone or leaving a rating or review. And don't forget to subscribe on whatever platform you're listening from. Thanks for listening in. We'll see you on the next episode.